Welcome to the Founders Podcast. Whose bright idea was this anyway? I'm Andrew Peyton Smith, founder and CEO of Jizoodle. And welcome to the Founders Podcast, Whose Bright Idea Is It Anyway? Episode 10. Yes, we've made it to 10 episodes. And this week, we've got a major treat for you. Um, we've got the founder and uh, CEO of uh, Vloggy, Justin Wastich. Welcome, Justin. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Well, Vloggy is the world's first collaborative video platform. And Vloggy makes it easy for you to source, brand, and use authentic video content created by communities. And Justin also must be probably one of the most travelled people I've ever met, uh, having a long and distinguished career in the media, uh, travel, and tourism industries. And he's managed to mix the two with his latest venture. So, uh, Justin, tell us a little bit more about your career and highlights today. Well, yeah, I mean, so am I one of the most travelled people you know? Well, maybe. I, I do have a friend um, who uh, beats me regularly. He's got this mission to actually visit every single UN-recognised country. Um, oh, wow. So he passed through, he lives in Russia, actually, and he passed through Australia recently on his way to do sweep up a whole load in the South Pacific. You know, because yeah. You can, like, he went to Tonga and uh, Tuvalu and oh, uh, wow. Solomon Islands and stuff, just because they all tick, 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 tick. Um, I think he's on about 123. Um, last count I did was on, on about 80, 80 countries. So, okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, back when I – I used to be an aviation journalist, and actually that was part of the initial um, founding wisdom behind behind Bloggy because at that time and previously pre- before that – so I'll go back a little bit further. Mm. So my first job after university was actually with a digital television startup. Okay. Um, and you know we were pitching for pitching to investors in New York and based yeah. in, based in Silicon Valley for a while, based in London, but also Neil um, Peters, California, and uh, that kind of gave me the first sort of insight that mm. you know people can just start up a business with a good idea and actually um, run with it. And that was actually to do with interactive television. This was 1996, yeah. So interactive television. But um, after that, I actually went and did um, public relations for Microsoft. Okay. I was in their video editorial team. So what we were trying to do there was actually build um, customer stories, cases, mm. um, but as videos. Now, that was okay. an enormously expensive opportunity uh, yeah. sort of exercise. So, for example, we once flew um, we once flew from, from Sydney over to Perth um, to do an interview with the Department of Education in Western Australia. We took five people, uh, yeah. me, a producer, a sound recordist, a cameraman, and one other as well. Anyway, and then an editor. Yeah. Um, we took them all over there for a day and flew back, you know. And the end result of this was we got uh, 30 seconds on the news in um, Channel 7 in WA. Yeah. Which is, which is fine. For a company like Microsoft, that was absolutely fine. Yeah. That was mission accomplished. Um, but after that, I, I then went um, went into into aviation journalist. You know, yeah. I, I retrained and, and became a journalist. And then at the time, the, the editor, he wanted video. Now, this was mm. year 2000, 2001. Um, so, you know, we got to sort out this video. You, you know, you know some of the videos. I said, yeah, yeah, I do because at the time I ran a small uh, production company. Yeah. On the side, I said, yeah, look, I do know about video. I can set up for you. So we set up something called Flight TV, um, which was basically based at all the major air shows. Okay. Um, and we did it fairly standard sort of production, so piece to camera and then a news highlights of yeah. the day. So it was like a sort of three minute news bulletin. Um, but to do all that, we had to go. You know, film the interviews mm. with people, film the, the the events, 
film cutaways and then piece it together, um, top and tail it with a, with the sponsor's logo yeah. and, uh, and then distribute it. And this, this was good. And we said this a bit, but again, it was quite expensive. It was about 30,000 mm. pounds for each, um, there were probably three or four episodes in each, yeah. um, in each air show. Yeah, typically day one, day two, day three. Mm. And I think we got um, EADS to sponsor one, so a big defense company, and somebody else to sponsor another one. So they paid for themselves. Yeah. Um, but then the budget sort of dried out a little bit. And I remember going to one air show called NBAA, which is a National Business Aviation Association yeah. air show uh, in, um, in Florida. And there wasn't enough budget. So I said to them, so look, just give me a camera yeah. um, and I'll do the rest. Okay. Said, what do you mean do the rest? You know, we normally send a cameraman and uh, whatever. That's an I'll do the rest. So on on the way on the flight over, I composed the theme tune, um, <laughs> and then I um, I basically recorded all the interviews, all the pieces of camera. I set up a tripod and just did pieces of camera with people behind me, like I didn't care. Fantastic. And I went back went back um, to the um, to the sort of to the hotel and just edited these these together. Yeah. Um, and again, normally I was doing it in that standard format of day one, day two, whatever. I, I couldn't find a way to get them over to um, to back to London, so I mm. on this thing called the YouTube, okay, um, which was a new sort of thing at the time, revolutionary, revolutionary. And what we didn't, re- and I didn't, I don't know if they had private settings to that anyway, but I kind of did it as a file sharing thing. Mm. And in the morning, before he even sort of before he even got to see it, it had two hundred something views. Oh wow! Um, so he was like, "Well, who are these people? Well, people who are interested." And he went, "Oh, right, so we can just put it on there and get extra views and and." And that was a bit of a revelation to him. And, but I wasn't allowed to use the Flight TV brand because yeah. it wasn't as slick as slick produced. So I said, mm. well, let's call it a video blog. He said, yeah. a video blog? He said, what is, what's a blog? So I said, well, it's a sort of, you know. And so looking back, this was 2004, I think, I was one of the first people to use the term video blog. Mm. Um, but what was yeah. great about that experience was that um, in addition to like day one, day two, day three, I also then did compilations of best interiors of a, of a Falcon, uh, Dassault Falcon 950 or, yeah. you know, sort of best in- and then interior shots, of a walkthrough of um, a Leah, what was a Leah 45? Um, okay. You know, so, and these went absolutely off on, on YouTube yeah. because nobody – was allowed into private yet, unless yeah. you're a wealthy person. So I was able to do these kind of things that I had, I had access to. So this incredibly cheap um, production actually spawned about uh, 20 different cuts. Yeah. And that was really one of my early insights that actually if we get um, the user-generated video mm. could actually be much more compelling than the yeah. professional produced. Absolutely. And that leads absolutely beautifully onto, onto Vloggy. Uh, well, it does, yeah. So, um, so to, to complete my journey, I then when I moved to Australia, I um, I'd been living in Australia before, but when I moved uh, to Australia um, more recently, it's so ten years ago, mm. twelve years ago, um, I was working in travel journalism. Yeah, and again, I set up um, I set up the TV or the the video kind of arm of of that publishing house. Yeah, um, because video has always been there. And then I then when I left that, I actually went to work as a tourism consultant mm. uh, in the policy space because I've been, been a lobbyist as well. And the one constant that the tourism industry said was we need video. We need video. We, yeah. need, we need video. Totally. We need video. We need video. We need hours yeah. and hours and hours of video. And the problem that the tourism industry has in particular is that their product is location. Mm-hmm. Right? So there are now, and you know, three years ago when we started this, there were video editing tools that made yeah. it um, that made it easier. There there are services like um, 90 seconds and things that are making it cheaper. Mm. But um, but essentially 
still that doesn't solve the problem for lots of industries. So if you yeah. think about charities, you think about um, travel and tourism, mm. you think about any of these things where the the subject of their films or of their you know, the video content is outside of capital cities, is, yeah. is in remote locations. That was really the problem we were trying to solve. Mm. So, so for example, um, tourism events Queensland, uh, or to give you another, actually South Australian Tourism Commission was was one of our first clients, and they wanted to do neighbourhood profiles yeah. of places in, in Adelaide, like Norwood um, and Glenelg, okay. these sort of funky suburbs, and they didn't really want to send a film crew to each of these suburbs, even though within Adelaide itself that isn't necessary. Yeah. But uh, they wanted to get real people who lived in those neighbourhoods to actually film the content because mm. they wanted that authenticity. Um, and that was the that was the first test uh, project, and that was about two, okay. two and a half years ago. Yeah. And we successfully, with the prototype that I built, successfully got video back from these remote locations and okay. then stitched it together. And then what we've what we've done since is then build a whole kind of ecosystem around that around. Uh, so we have there's one arm of the of the platform which is the crowdsourcing yeah so getting the video from remote locations we've actually just released a, a new version of that to make it even easier any device okay um, previously it was a, a ios app only yeah but then the other part of the equation is how do how do the marketing managers or the people who actually need that content and especially if you think about small business mm. this is often the the owner or whoever absolutely who, who's never done any edit- editing in his life and would probably be scared of video editing yeah so we've built another um, bit of a solution called a um Called Vloggy Studio, mm. which allows you basically just to drag and drop those video clips together into, okay. a, finish, into a finished video. Yeah, yeah. So you should really democratise video, really video uh, um, or the video production in, in many respects. Yeah, I mean that was definitely one of the founding goals was to when we did an audit of, of who uses video, and again mm. we were looking at the tourism industry. We've 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 broadened significantly since then, but when we were looking at that, basically large national tourism boards in developed countries yeah. use videos. Yeah. You go one one level down. So if you think in Australia you have Destination New South Wales, you have Visit Victoria and South Australian Tourism Commission. Yeah, these state level guys mm. uh, they, they do use video, uh, but yeah. they don't use it as much. Uh, but then any tiers down below that, so regional tourism boards or even suburban tourism yeah. boards, I mean there are lots of the lots of wealthy suburbs in Australia have tourism capability. None of them use yeah. video. And, that, and we thought, well, why is that? And then we looked at the rest of the world, and the developing world doesn't use video in its market. Okay. Uh, because it's just too expensive and too mm. complicated. Um, so really that idea that, you know, there were 2.2 billion people in the world with a high-definition camera yeah. at all times in their smartphone. So really the founding mission was, let's just turn those into remote cameras mm. and yeah. let our system do all the rest. So all we need people to do is to actually film the, the content. Yeah. And then... And then that comes back to base or comes back to whoever the customer is who's actually using the platform to then easily compile those together into into beautiful looking videos. Absolutely. One of the things that really attracted me to Vloggy, um, uh, and, and I do dabble in some of the, uh, the content side, obviously myself on, um, for, for Jizoodle is thinking about the type of video content I want and then thinking, Oh, I just can't get to that place. I, I'd really like a shot from here and so forth. And Vloggy completely overcomes that. Yeah, well, hopefully, yeah. Um, it does. And what we find is that people still approach video in a linear, um, fashion. Um, so, I mean, here we are um, doing a podcast, and in many ways, um, the vloggy output is kind of like a video podcast, mm. but with multiple locations. So, yeah. too often a vlog, a, um, a video blog, is still one person's point of view, 
Um, and what we specialize really in is multiple people, multiple perspectives, multiple yeah. devices, all contributing into one. So you're right. Um, and this is one thing that we're still struggling with is, is how do we, that onboarding process, how do we mm. guide the people? So people quite often know what they, they want to produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, no, that's not quite true. Not <laughs> Some, always, sometimes no, not always. Yeah, sometimes yeah. they do, sometimes they don't. Um, so we've had to provide a lot more examples. Um, but we're kind of, we're tied in this balance between showing people what they could produce mm-hmm. and letting them go free for. Yeah. So, I mean, at the heart of the, the heart of each producing an episode in the vlogging platform is the project brief. Yeah. And this is the kind of, this is the thing that contributors actually see. Yeah. Um, and again, what we find is that most people, when they first do it, put in very scant details. Yeah. So we're actually trying to work a way now to actually use predictive text to actually pre-populate that. Okay, yeah. Um, so in the production side, everything's tied together through a template. Mm. Right? So just as you probably have a template for this podcast, mm-hmm. yeah. So which has your, your sting and your, your opening sequence. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, so at a basic level, that's what our system does. Yeah. All right. So it's a, it's a video template that's overlaid over, so that every episode looks looks the same. Okay. But um, but then the content inside. So we've recently released some quite innovative things there, like automatic video diaries. Mm. Automatically take the creation date of each video and overlay it. Yeah. You know, which for some people is quite important. Oh, here's a video diary. Here's twelve yeah. days in in Sepang or whatever. And we've done things like um, video listicles, so you can mm. put throw six clips in, and it will say six best. Beaches in southern Queensland, and yeah. then we'll go number one. This number two, okay. number three, fantastic. Yeah. Which is all quite, which is all stuff that customers had asked for. But then, how do we work it back in terms of how do we tell people that's what they're that's, making? Yeah, and that's that's our kind of that's our challenge at the moment. So, yeah, uh, in fact, UX probably is probably our biggest challenge. Is how okay. do we make something that's actually quite complicated simple? Simple, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. We had exactly the same um, problem with Jazoodle, and, and you can imagine 400,000 financial numbers coming into a dashboard. We've got to make it not only simple for, for users, to, but also to a- actually understand what's going on and then how to navigate through through the system to get the best out of Jazoodle that they can, uh, potentially. Mm. So, yeah. so how, how are you approaching that UX problem? Um, well, I like to sort of manage by osmosis. Mm. Um, I just presume that anyone sitting near me can read my mind and yeah. uh, I, and <laughs> I wonder why it's not obvious to them. <laughs> no, I mean, we've, I've just come from discussion actually. So we do, we do have a, we do have a UX designer mm. and we've also got the former head of design for Westpac as one of our okay. um, advisors. So he's actually been quite helpful in telling us how we should approach it because previously what we did was we just hired UX designers mm. and I kind of gave them a brief and they interpreted it and it wasn't quite the same as I ever Wanted it. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm, I'm reading a, a biography at the moment of the um, Canadian singer songwriter, Joni Mitchell. Oh, yeah. And, um, and her music changed dramatically in the mid 70s mm. from kind of folky to jazz. Yeah. And she was saying that basically she met this guy called Jacob Storitz who played the fretless bass. Mm. And she said, look, for the first time, he actually was actually able to play exactly how I imagined it. Yeah. Like previously, the bass line had just been, been this plodding. Sort of accompaniment in the middle, putting up picket fences through that throughout the music. Yeah, and suddenly he was playing bass like a cello, like, you know, like sliding okay. yeah. bass. And I feel a bit the same. So I sort of I have in my mind this this vision of how it, how it all works, and then 
it comes down to UX designers, and, and we've, we've had a few, mm. and they never quite get uh, what's in your head. What's in my head? Yeah. And to me, they present designs I'm like, yeah, that's, that's good, and it moves on, but it's not, mm. you know, really, really what I'm trying to get at is um, the founding vision, I guess, is that anybody should be able to make a TV episode. Like, yeah. So talking about democratization, it doesn't matter what you're into. So we, some of our customers are like, we have a dog. Dog travel review mm. company called Pupsy. Okay. Now he wants to make episodes mm. about every dog friendly beach in Australia. Okay. And he wants to make um, an episode about every dog friendly cafe. Mm. So that's a that's a fairly niche audience. Yeah. But that is at the heart of the heart of the mission of what what vlog is about is that anybody, no matter how small they are, if mm. they have an audience of two or three hundred people. Yeah, you should be able to make TV shows about that. Or you know, TV shows probably too too ambitious, but video content sure. is specific. An, an easier way to think about it is there are six hundred and twenty million Facebook groups out there, mm. and in next year, Facebook's going to already um, deprioritize. It's already deprioritizing written content, yeah, and prioritizing prioritizing video. We understand that they're going to turn off everything apart from video. It's going to be a video only wow. platform next year. Whether that happens, we don't know. But mm. but every single Facebook group will need to have video yeah. content, and absolutely. that's where something like comes in. Absolutely. Now, th- then that will be an uh, absolutely seismic shift, almost if if um, Facebook go that route. Yeah. And, and, and at the moment, there are lots of tools to make marketing videos. Mm. You want to make yeah. a, you want to make a. I'm standing in front of a, a microphone called Blue. You know, if you want to make a promotional video about Blue microphones. Mm. Yeah, go your hardest. Go to promo. Go to now Canva. Go to yeah. there's lots of them. And what you do is you upload a video clip of of your product, yeah. and then overlay kind of graphics and stuff, and you make an advert. Yeah. Now that isn't what vlog is about. Vlog is about editorial content, editorial content made by niches. Yeah. Um, for niches, we we call it um, narrow casting. Mm. So the complete polar opposite of broadcasting, Ooh. which is broadcasting is one to many. Yeah. Um, we're really talking about many to many. Uh, video casting, mm. narrow casting. Absolutely. It's um well, uh, obviously we originally met, I think, for via the via the travel industry and some of the work that I was doing with um, Amadeus and a couple of the people that we know at uh, Amadeus. Um, at this time with coronavirus and uh, the bushfires, and the floods, and every, whatever else is coming next this this year. Um, Obviously, that's hitting the travel and tourism industry really hard, hard at the moment. What, what, in terms of, um, vlogging and so forth, what would, what would you suggest that, that tour, travel and tourism owners start looking at to actually, rather than just retreating to their chills, how can they actually bring video and engage content to, to their audiences at this difficult time? Yeah, look, um, this is a really fast-moving situation. We're sitting here, mm. for the benefit of the audience, we're sitting here on March 9th, uh, 2020, um, and um, there's about a 1,000 cases in, in Italy, um, about 2,000 in Iran, and several tens of thousands in, in China. Yeah. And, it, look, it has the potential to be a, a global pandemic. And I think at the moment there's just a sense of panic and unknown. So mm. I don't think anybody in the tourism travel industry is thinking beyond next week. Really. Yeah. I mean, Air New Zealand recently, or uh, two days ago, put out a new – it didn't put out a profits warning. They put out a revision to their pre-profit yeah. statement. Um, and in that, uh, I think we had the first picture of, of how bad this is going to be because mm. um, air traffic is down in the last two weeks, 26%. Yeah. And they're saying that actually it could be double that. So we could see – 
a downturn in aviation and air, air transport mm. like we haven't seen since yep. post uh, September the 11th. Yeah. Um, it has the, all the hallmarks of being that bad, right? Mm. So there are some immediate stuff that um, tourism operators will need to think about, which um, looks like here in Australia, the federal government is, is looking at some um, support packages, which yeah. is mainly financial around people who own hotels and own attractions and, mm. you know, really helping out the small guys who, who keep the industry going. And I think that is appropriate at this time that this is really uh, the, what people are focusing on. But mm. then once we get to the recovery, which could be two or three months' time, but there will be one. Yeah. Um, then actually, then there's some stuff in place. Again, some of this is federal government or, or mm. state government around aviation attraction funds. What we're saying is actually, though, that when you can't get people into these places, um, yeah. if there are exclusion zones, as there is now in, um, in northern Italy, uh, if there are exclusion zones in other parts of the world, then actually – a platform like Loggy is actually a way to get mm. remote video um, from those places without having to go in there. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I saw yesterday actually that the uh, the BBC were broadcasting from Rome mm. all about what's going on in Milan. Yeah. Because they weren't allowed into into. Yeah, that. absolutely. Um, and this is exactly the kind of thing that you could use a platform like Loggy. I mean, I mean, if you're a professional broadcaster, there are probably high-end tools mm. like Frame.io. Yeah. Um, that you might use. Um, but for get, getting that real community uh, feel, you know, this is what it feels like on the ground mm. to be in a, um exclusion zone or yeah. um, uh, quarantine zone. Um, th- this is the kind of tool that, mm. that could be used. Yeah, absolutely. Piece of trivia, Andrew. Yep. Um, the word quarantine actually start, started from Venice as well. So um, when, they, when they had the plague in uh, I think 1396, mm. they they said that people should be inside for 40 days. Quaranta. Ah, um, of course. Yeah. So um, that's where. So our unfortunate turn of irony is that. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's come home to it's roost come again. Home to roost. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. nobody w- would want to be there, but. No, absolutely. And um, now that that's uh, that's, uh, and I think the important point is, um, and I certainly lived through nine eleven and the SARS and bits and pieces, and you know that there will be an endpoint to, to to this, and things will start recovering. It's a case of of just keeping things tightened, uh, keep those marketing activities going because you know that things will recover in the, in the, in the not-too-distant future. Well, not maybe coronavirus-related, but maybe it is in part, but the Hong Kong government just put mm. um, a billion Hong Kong dollars, so about 150 million Australian dollars, yeah. into stimulating uh, tourism and also business events, conferences. Yeah. And you've got to imagine, I mean, they were the first because they were trying to um, not so much coronavirus, but more post the riot yeah. and the um, democracy yeah. protests. Um, but um, what you'll see is that there will be enormous amount of money spent mm. um, by governments encouraging people to come back and travel again. Yeah. Because tourism is such a huge part of the economy in, in many countries. I mean, it's, it accounts for about 16% of the Australian economy yeah. once you have all the flowing effects. Um, you know, different, and New Zealand is even higher. Mm. So those sort of figures, you, yeah. you sort of see that um, coming through. Um, there will be a bit of an arms race, and okay, mm. well, how can we, how can we stimulate this again? So it'll be slightly different to. I mean, I, I wouldn't. Im- I would imagine that just like after nine eleven, when lots of lots of the industry used that time to kind of regroup, and mm. a lot of, there was a bankruptcies in, in the US and 
and other airlines went bankrupt. There yeah. will be a bit of that and downshifting in, in, in aircraft orders and that kind of stuff will go on. Sure. But yeah, there will be an end and yeah. we will need to be prepared for it and do, do marketing during that. Yeah, and and just imagine after being three months of um, of cabin fever and being cooped up in a house, people are going to want to travel. It's as simple as that. They're going to want to get out there. Yeah, exactly. Once it's safe to do so. Yeah. Um, yeah, they should rebound. Yeah, absolutely. Now, just come back to Vloggy. Um, obviously, uh, you've you founded Vloggy a couple of years ago. Tell, tell us about your experiences as, as, a, as an entrepreneur on the vloggy journey and some of the difficulties you've had along that journey. Um, but also I'd like to get a little bit of insight into the scale-up phase as well with, with vloggy. Yeah, look, I mean, the um, as I was saying earlier, once we did the, the we did the prototype for South Australian Tourism Commission and it worked and they paid us some money. Mm. And that was about two and a half years ago. And we thought, yeah, great, this is going to be easy now. You know? Yeah. Um, but no, it wasn't. <laughs> um, because basically turning a prototype into even an MVP, so minimal viable product, was an enormous piece of work because you know, mm. setting up all the, the systems architecture and uh, stuff is, that is actually required to make a product more than just a, a prototype yeah. was an enormous piece of work, not only from a technical point of view, but also from a philosophy point of view. or, or a um, We had to work out... Uh, well, finding business uh, product product market fit was, mm. was really quite hard, and and, yeah. we got, and we got it wrong. So we initially thought that what we were doing was a what we were building was an on demand stock video library mm. that people could post up projects. I need shortage. Of, I need footage of X Y Z. Yeah, and then people would respond to that and get paid. Yeah. So it was kind of the gig economy was where we kind of positioned it, and that worked if mm. you want backpackers yeah. to film. Yeah. Right? So you put up a put up a monetary award. And and we never had problems f- filming or you know, getting stuff of Bondi yeah. Beach or any of those sort of places where backpackers go. Um, and you know what? They would pick up our our app and they would use it and then never use it again. Yeah. So, uh, and that wasn't fundamentally what we wanted. Yeah. Um, and then once we actually got MVP level, um, we then took it back to customers who were really keen. Mm. I mean, we we must have showcased this to about. 2,000, 3,000 sort of yeah. customers. Yeah. And all of them say, yeah, that's what we need. Yeah. We definitely need video and we want it to be authentic and we want our customers, our community, our colleagues to actually, yeah. to actually film that content. So that we know that we've got right. But then they were looking at the price and said, well, hold on. For example, tra- uh, one of our customers, Bay Travel Group, yeah. is, a, um, is a travel agency. And we have quite a few travel agencies who use their staff to actually film the content when they go on, on what's known in the industry as familiars yeah. or familiar, familiarization trips, yeah. junkets, free trips. Um, and they said to us, well, hold on, why would we pay our staff in addition mm. to us paying? Yeah. And so that was one. And then we talked to a very large um, German car manufacturer who said, we love the concept. It needs a bit of tightening up around uh, the, the technology, yeah. f- you know, a bit of polish for our liking. But also... We're not going to pay people. Like, mm. we're going to put up a car for yeah. people to win. So we had to basically take out the whole Tucson marketplace. Okay. And we had to realize, okay, what we have here is a collaboration tool. Mm. We allow people to post up a project, get get uh, video clips, and merge those together easily into a video. Yeah. This could be two or three people traveling together, mm. or it could be Coca-Cola, Avantil, putting up a prize, and it could be anywhere in between. Yeah. Um, that's the real beauty that we have is that ability to make collaborative videos. Mm, absolutely. Um, so that was a massive pivot. 
And throughout all this, we've been having to chase investors. Yeah. Um, so probably if you ask me the single biggest challenge, in Australia, it's raising investment. Yeah. Uh, access to capital. Definitely. Totally. And if you're the seed level, yeah. then there is, there, there is capital available because when you're at that level, when you're kind of chasing the one or two million dollars to actually really scale up, mm-hmm. then by that stage, you've got a company which has all the legal frameworks set up. It has all the guarantees they want. It has yeah. the staff bidded in. It has a product with traction, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So not saying that Australian investors want a, a sure thing, mm. but Australian investors want a sure thing. Yeah. <laughs> and what we found is that early stage capital is really hard to find. Mm because you don't have those assurances and guarantees. And some of them turn around and say, well, why don't I just invest in property mm. where I know we need yeah. a return? Or, yeah. um, so there's been a lot of, I think the expression is you've got to kiss a lot of frogs before you find a prince. Yeah. Um, we found a few princes. So our lead investor, uh, Brendan Leonard, um, has been amazing. He's been there with some, been there with cash, but also with good ideas and contacts. Yeah. Um, and we've got some other investors. I mean, our investors are all quite active. But we still face this challenge of we, you know, mm. at the moment trying to close a um, the pre-seed round, um, yeah. which is basically just the money we need to, to get this product seed. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it is some of that stuff around. Um, we have some proprietary deep tech in the middle um, mm-hmm. that we are patenting. It's all that kind of stuff that is. Yeah, we're just putting all this stuff in place to make us more investable. Yeah. But getting the money to do that is a <laughs> massive challenge. I hear you, brother. That's for sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's a perennial problem. Um, and Australia is – I've had a number of conversations on this um, with, with a number of both founders and uh, and investors um, themselves. And, 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 it, and it is a significant problem, that, that, that gap between – getting started, getting your initial traction, and then getting that seed funding for that initial scale-up once you prove product market fit is um, is a tough ask in, in this country. And a lot of founders then have to say, well, do we then go overseas? Do we then go to the US um, or Singapore or any other, um, or Israel even? Is uh, uh, to, um, But of course that... Actually, that- we've been accepted onto the Israeli landing pad. Have you um, really? Which has been delayed now because of coronavirus. But, yeah. Um, what we were told there was actually you won't find investors mm. um, in Israel, but you'll, yeah. you'll be exposed to you'll, – you'll get your product taken apart. Yeah. Um, brutally honest feedback, um, I think, is what you get from that. Yeah. Okay. So Interesting. It, it delayed, but hopefully we're going to be spending two weeks until Tel Aviv. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't going to be April, but it'll probably be yeah. – <laughs> you know, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's a significant win. So in terms of – Young, uh, I'm not going to say young entrepreneurs actually, because actually the stat- statistics say that a lot of the um, most successful entrepreneurs are over the age of forty. So that's uh, let's not say young entrepreneurs. And I think that's that's also so also for my sins, um, well not my sins, but um, I'm also a non-resident research fellow in the entrepreneurship mm. and uh, innovation school at the US Studies Center at the University yeah. of Sydney, and um, we done quite a few studies there comparing entrepreneurs in the US and those mm. in, in Australia. And it's true. Basically, in, in America, you're, the average age is, is late 20s and okay. 30s. Yeah. Um, but you typically come from a wealthy family. Yeah. Right? So, so you've got capital behind you. You have capital to live. Yeah. And you base yourself in um, Silicon Valley. You work for free because you've got mm. family income. Yeah. Um, and you prove a concept and you go bankrupt and then you take the learning from that 
yeah. into your second company, which is is successful. Australia has a completely different uh, attitude because it's so expensive to live here. Yeah, um, and so it tends to be people like you said in their forties who mm. got a career, and then what happens is is that you do what I do, and you go into it, and you live off your savings, and yeah. then you exhaust them and deplete yeah. them, then live off your credit cards and yeah. every, and, and and every bit of charity that's going around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you do that, but but it is a different experience. There doesn't there don't tend to be the young entrepreneurs that there are yeah. in uh, in the states. Yeah. Okay. It's an interesting area, actually, and um, and uh, one that I've I've thought about a lot in my time. What does make a great entrepreneur? And uh, what seems to come up all time and time again is someone that's has got resilience and huge reserves of resilience and um, and means of actually backing that resilience up with being able to live and not live on the streets and so forth. Yeah. And someone once said to me that. You know that you have to follow that area if, if it's the last thing you think about before you go to sleep, mm-hmm. the first thing you think about when you wake up. And yeah. here I am. I mean, four years since it was an idea phase, um, yeah. and so two and a half years since we sort of really started going on this. But uh, you know, every night I'm thinking of a of a enhancement, and, mm. and, um, and then every day I wake up thinking about that. Come in and uh, Jeremy, our kind of lead um, dev, I sort of first thing coming is okay. Tell me your idea over the night. So yeah. This morning I got up and said, well. You know how we send stuff thing to the render queue um, in this fashion? Well, actually, if we did this and, and, and change the variable here, then actually what we'd do is we'd speed up the encode time by about 25%, which would mean that the front end we could show a preview quick one. You know. yeah. And he's like, well, when do you think of that? I said, well, <laughs> kind of last night. <laughs> our, our, our developers, Jesus developers in um, in the States. Hi, Bill, if you're listening. And, um, and I think I'd drive him absolutely nuts because he knows as soon as um, Australia goes live, five, six, clock in the morning when I get up that he is going to get a barrage of emails um, coming along about the latest ideas that I've had overnight and so forth to yeah yeah we've got a uh, developer offshore as well we've got one Mm. in in the UK yeah um, who actually holds a patent and invented video streaming for mobile phones okay oh Um, really and he's a sort of he's a very much a video whiz yeah and uh, which is good right because we video is at the core of what we do Mm. um but what we didn't have was a sort of front end. So what we're trying to do now is is turn this quite complex, as I said earlier, turn this mm. complex tool into something that's really easy to use. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. On your um, on your journey so far, what have, what have been the biggest pain points for for you? I think I've addressed some of them earlier, but yeah, um, so yeah, definitely finding capital and yeah. how you survive day to day. UX has been um, a massive pain point. Getting the business model wrong. Um, was a pain point. Yeah, I mean, those are all the sort of classic yeah. sort of things. I mean, really, well, actually, I suppose one of the biggest, one of the more surprising ones was that we um, got selected, well, we got tapped on the shoulder to apply for the Mui D Accelerator. Mm. And um, we sort of had some pre meetings and then we had yeah. an application and we got through to the selection and we got kind of uh, very warm feedback in the in the session. And then we got down to the final 12 or something. Or yeah. Final, and then we didn't, didn't make it in. Mm. And we didn't get much feedback either. But that was kind of one that we, oh, hold on. You know, like, because we ticked all the boxes. Yeah. Um, and then for some reason, we, um, they didn't give any feedback. Um, for some reason, we wasn't, yeah. wasn't to be. So, yeah. yeah That's that, frustrating. That was, that was kind of quite, um, 
I suppose quite depressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's one of those definitely one of those uh, down moments that all entrepreneurs go through when you, when you think that yep, you've done got everything right for for this particular thing, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're off a cliff mm. uh, again. So it's so a case of picking yourself up, dusting yourself down, and going again. Yeah. I guess, yeah, absolutely. So, um, obviously, I see some huge things for vlogging in multiple industries. Where, where do you see the future of um, digital and video technology going, and how can vlogging help shape that in the future? Well, actually, one of the we just um, signed our first API um, client, okay. and they want to use a company called Party Flick, and they want to use our technology to crowdsource mm. wedding reception videos. Oh wow! So, if you imagine in the old days, you used to have this uh, disposable cameras, yeah, um, thing, and now everyone takes their own footage and yeah, uh, when people take their own pictures, and what you know, sometimes people want to they set up a Dropbox and people put them in and whatever. Mm. Um, so what these guys want to do is they want to use their underlying technology to actually you have a QR code or something on every table, contribute your video, your best bits of Sharon and Dave's, or yeah. Sharon and Karen's yeah. um, wedding here, and then it goes in, and then the same exactly the same as our normal system. It then yeah. spits out highlights videos from those uh, from those, and, and it, but it's pitched to a different audience. So they're actually pitching it at wedding planners mm. and video, wedding videographers. So apparently, wedding yeah. videographers love filming ceremonies. Yeah, hate filming receptions. Okay. You know, oh, really? Whereas, I didn't know that. Whereas, because they're not part of the crowd, yeah. they don't know who's who. And they're a bit out of, can get out of control. and. <laughs> yeah. So, but the stuff that the guests like is, is the stuff that the reception, sure. Yeah. I mean, no one's going to look at the ceremony apart from the bride and groom. Yeah. Whereas everyone will look at the, the reception videos. Yeah. So that was their, sort of, so it's been sold as a business to business tool. So, um, there will be somebody who actually mm. knows video editing who will use that footage and make a video from, yeah. those, from those bits. And, you know, we thought, oh, that's an interesting use case. And we've also been approached by a charity to do something, to build a charity version of our platform. Okay. So I think what will actually happen is there'll be lots and lots of uses of our technology or, or, mm. or climate video production in its um, wonderful um, in niche verticals. Yeah, yeah, okay. And what, um, without giving too much away, obviously, of commercial confidentiality, but what's on the roadmap for, for Vloggy? Uh, completing those patterns. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, we, which means then I can talk about some much clever stuff that we have in the background around yeah. sort of automation of that video production process. And that's really the key, is actually we want to make that video production part really, mm. really easy. Yeah. Basically by use of, some of the, the data stored within video yeah. to actually automatically compile. I, it really resonates with me. I've, I've used video editors and, and um, make your own video tools before. Disaster, absolute disaster, because because I've had to have too much knowledge and need, needing to know when the fade in, fade out, when to overlay graphics and so forth. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and it's funny because because I used to run a – because I've made films – or made short films. Mm. I kind of taught myself, and sometimes it's easier if I remove myself when we talk about the process. Yeah. I think I'm better now, but yeah, we really didn't want it to be a linear process, which is yeah. look at all video editors and they're Absolutely. all a very, you have a timeline and you drop something yeah. to the timeline. And that is the standard way of presenting uh, mm. a video. And we're about to release a new UX, as 
and it's and it's not. I mean, we're not linear at the moment. We're on non-linear yeah. Yeah. Uh, video editing platform, and the next iteration is going to be even more radical. Okay, cannot wait. Yeah. <laughs> we'll definitely be keeping in because I do like gadget or two myself, and um, anything we can use for Jizoodle, that's for sure. Mm. Um, have you any um, anecdotes or reviews from customers that show you how powerful vloggy vloggy can be within business? Um, yeah, we, the city of Sydney used this um, tail end of last year mm. to um, capture their Spark Festival, um, which was a, a startup sort of um, little trade show. Yeah. And they gave delegates there the QR code and they all contributed video and, and, and they made a, a highlights video of that show in their colours, in the complete branding, all their branding wow. elements. And they made it and they posted it up on LinkedIn that afternoon. Yeah. Now, what was really gratifying about that was I chatted to their videographer at the event mm. and she complaining. She said, oh, these guys, you know, they're only paying me $7,500, but they want it turned around within a week. Yeah. And with our platform, they paid us $79 and yeah. they turned it around the same afternoon. <laughs> That's a little bit different. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit different. It's just, just, just going to increase the volume of the videos that people want. Well, really, what we're talking about is episodic videos. Right? Mm. So that, I mean, that was a one-off. Yeah. But we really don't see the trend of video being one-offs. And at the moment, videos are one-offs yeah. because it's so expensive. Yeah. But we see small businesses using it in the same way that they do blogs or even yep. podcasts yep. of doing regular episodes. Mm. Um, a system like ours means that they can keep projects going, keep contributions flowing in. Yeah. And it's up to them how they incentivize. And it's for some small businesses, they will need to actually incentivize with with complementary products. Yeah. Um, but for others, people will want to contribute because they're part of that community. Mm. You know, it really doesn't matter. Um, but the main job of the marketing person will be stoking that activation yeah. funnel. Yeah. And then as the contributions come in, they just, they just make episodes and publish and publish. Mm. Yeah. And they're, and they, it's kind of turning on a tap of content. Yeah. Absolutely, which is everything that all small businesses are after all the time is content. Okay, well, we're, um, we're running out of time. A um, couple of closing questions. If there was um, one piece of advice you could give to any budding entrepreneur or business owner, what would it be? I'm actually, I'm actually writing a book as well called um, How Not to Start Up the Next uh, okay. Unicorn. Um, <laughs> so there's lots of advice about what not to do. Yeah. Um, like, don't do it. Don't start in Australia. Um, <laughs> don't make huge assumptions as well, which yeah. is what we've done, yeah. Don't uh, do not do it if you have wife and kids. Um, <laughs> don't do it. Basically, only do it if you're a rich <laughs> American yeah. with yeah. Uh, access to money. Yeah. So, um, yeah, maybe assumptions or maybe um, probably what we did – in respect, wrong was we built the system too complicated. So we, yeah. we, we we did make assumptions and we built a system that from scratch yeah. that does lots of stuff. And what we should have done was use much many more plugins and templates and frameworks mm. to prove the concept, yeah. to get some money, and then build it from scratch. Instead, we built I mean virtually all the code yeah. is proprietary. Yeah, um, we have very very few plugins from open we mm. do have some open source yep. stuff we don't use frameworks when you get any of that yeah which from an investment point of view is probably better yeah but from a speed to market mm. point of view is probably worse yeah. so if you want you really need to get a concept out there quick 
which is kind of what we did with the South Australian, South Australian tour yeah. mission. We, I built a prototype, got it out there, and it worked. Mm. And then we spent too long actually engineering that into yeah. a viable solution. Yeah. So, so just be just be very agile and and test things religiously and very often as well and smaller components. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I found a button that doesn't work on website today. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and it's a button which, in one flow, works, but yeah. then if you approach it in a different yeah. flow, it doesn't. And we were scratching our heads. Why doesn't that work? And it it's because it it populates the right tag. Yeah. in the database, but it doesn't populate the many-to-many table that we created. So, yeah, we found the solution, but it's yeah. just... Why? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Funny enough, the power, power of that um, iterative test and so forth, we was um, the UNSW Accelerator last year, and our good friends, uh, uh, Louise and Lisa at Share with Oscar, uh, came in one day. They, they made a change to the colour of the button, uh, basically book now button on their on their website, and they changed it. I forget from what, what colour to what colour. I think it was blue to yellow or something like that and apparently their conversion rate went up 20% just for that small change it was incredible just in the, and the power of m- minuscule testing that, that you need to do within uh, as an entrepreneur or any business owner when you're uh, approaching your market I haven't caught up with Lisa for ages I should do because yeah. it's a good um, I like the guys at, um, yeah. at Oscar as it's now called yeah, yeah. absolutely and um, the final one um, if you this and uh, this is the one that stumps everybody, by the way. If you had a magic wand, what would be the one thing that you wish for in this world? Any subject, whether it's related to vlogging or not, anything. Well, other than a massive pot of money, which I presume everyone says, <laughs> you're right, it does stump you. Um, look, I guess, really, if I could have anything, it would be that we could make the world a bit smaller and make travel a bit easier yeah. so that we could uh, it was frustrating here not being close to mm. France and Italy and Spain yeah. and places absolutely so, so hypersonic air travel is probably yep. um, wouldn't that be lovely I could go and see West Ham every Saturday well maybe not this season I can say you're wasting money there better go to Wolves games this season <laughs> Next weekend, West Ham Wolves. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Brilliant stuff. Um, and just finalising, um, where can listeners find out more about you and Vloggy? Uh, and I know you're uh, obviously... www.vloggy.com, V-L-O-G-G-I.com. That was very easy. And if there are in, uh, any um, uh, seed investors or angel investors looking out there, how can they how can they contact you? Um, we're in all the main investments, such Crunchbase. Um, we've just put our stuff up on Crisp, um, Angel Investor. Um, it's an angel, angel list. Um, so all those major ones. We do have a dedicated data room as well, which I can provide access to. Um, Excellent. If you go to vloggy.com, it's easy to email me. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Justin. That was um, awesome this week. And I can't believe I just said the word awesome. So I've just blown my street cred completely out the window. Um, thank you very much um, for a wonderful um, podcast. And I wish you all the best with Vloggy over the coming months. Thank you. <laughs>